and welcome to Against the Law, the myth-busting ancient history podcast. Someone called Dizzy Rascal because this week we're going on holiday. Not really, it's a global pandemic, but we will be talking about them. I'm Alison and I'm joined here by Barney, Flo and Xenia. I'm Barney and just like the Babylonians of who I'm fond, I've been overindulging in beer over the festive period. I'm Xenia, I'm interested in all things ancient Roman. I'm Flo, I don't have any expertise in any historical area, but as uh, Socrates said, I know that I know nothing. I'm Alison, I'm into ancient Greek stuff, especially the stuff that's really funny, the stuff that's really sad, and preferably both. So, what's in the news? I was um, pumped this morning because I put together the fact that holiday is holy day, Um, linguistically that's quite an interesting thing and then Alison compounded that by researching it and it comes from the old English which is a which is a nice word which literally means holy day I thought that was quite interesting especially as we've just had Christmas and we're now waiting for New Year's we're in the in-between times aren't we I'd just like to say what's brilliant about that there flow is that you pronounced it with a perfect old English accent as well I mean, I'm not an expert, but I just I just feel it naturally, you know. I'm, I'm a polymath. It's just one of my skills. Did everyone have a nice Christmas? Oh, oh, before you answer, Christmas is not a Christian holiday, even though it's the most important Christian holiday. Can we fact check that, please? Indeed. Yes, it is. It is Christian in the sense that it celebrates the birth of Christ. However... It was uh, timed to fit existing Roman holidays, which actually celebrate the winter solstice, which for some reason they celebrated on the December the 25th, even though the winter solstice, I think, is technically the 21st of December. So we're in the in-between stages, the days where nothing seems to make sense. You don't know what day of the week it is. There's a lot of cheese left, not enough crackers. Um, which this was very similar to the Roman Saturnalia, which they celebrated before the um, winter solstice. And that was like, it was usually about a week, although different emperors decided it would be different days. And that was genuinely when they literally turned society on its head. So you would throw a dice and you'd decide who was the king of the Saturnalia or queen of the Saturnalia at that point. And it could be anyone in the household. It could be a slave. It could be a freedman. It could be a child. And they were like in charge for the entire time of the Saturnalia. And you had to do what they said. Oh, wow. So what would the equivalent now be? Sort of like rolling a dice and the five-year-old's got to cook Christmas dinner. Yeah. And your and your aunt isn't the one to cause drama on, on Christmas evening, you know. That's that's really cool. I quite like that concept. You could have it in schools where the where the children teach the teachers. That's quite fun. I mean I presume they couldn't do things like go, Well, now you're my slave, you're fired. There would be repercussions, I presume. Yeah. Um, but it, it was still nice to sort of release the chains of hierarchy and society, even even if you're just pretending for a little bit. This sounds like a lot like the plot of Ariasta's Midsummer. Do we know if that's Ooh. based on the Saturnalia or like the Wicker Man as well? Just very like chaotic energy, you know? I do wonder if they those go against the law because I'm not I'm not familiar with sort of pagan. I know that Wicca is quite a recent thing based on pagan, but the all the all the um films like Wicker Man, not Wicker as in 
WICCA, which I just mentioned, but Wicker Man, where famously in the remake, Nicolas Cage is burnt, spoiler alert, but it's been out for a while, so it's not on me. It seems a lot mm. more sinister than than I think it actually would have been. Or am I wrong? Were there human sacrifices? Because that sounds really rough. <laughs> human sacrifice is an interesting one, actually, because I think a lot of people assume that earlier in history it was more common but again it, it died out in Egypt almost immediately in Egyptian history and wasn't uh wasn't a thing in the ancient Near East either so perhaps not quite as barbaric as we might think as those ancients. It was a big thing in like Greek mythology like there was always like mythological stories of sacrifices but they were generally looked upon quite poorly um like Agamemnon <laughs> before the Trojan War to encourage the winds to be released they have to make a sacrament sacrifice to Artemis of like a young girl and that sparks a whole heap of cycles of vengeance and murders and stuff so human sacrifice is kind of not not ideal in the ancient world I feel. Speaking of things that have been sacrificed over the years. Is it true that Romans had access to a plant that provided natural birth control and the leaves were in the shape of a heart which is why when we draw a heart it's in that shape and not in the shape of a, a sort of a, an accurate human heart organ. And they, it was so popular to use as a, as a contraceptive that they literally banged it out of existence. That's something I learned from you, Flo, and I'm going to have to check <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm going to look okay. it up. I have looked it up in the time that it took me to laugh like a jackal and it was called silphium or laserwort which is an unidentified plant used in classical antiquity as seasoning perfume aphrodisiac and medicine. It was also used as a contraceptive by ancient Greeks and Romans. So the fact that it's an unidentified, its seeds were heart-shaped, its leaves weren't heart-shaped, it was the seeds that were heart-shaped. So, so I think I think that maybe that could be half true. Can I tell you about another ancient Roman aphrodisiac slash recipe for disaster? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, they were convinced that the uh, the sweat of gladiators had uh, aphrodisiac properties. So, at the Roman baths, one of the sort of processes that they went through, they wouldn't just wash and put soap on their bodies they would also oil their skin as like a natural moisturizer and then they would scrape off the oil and with the oil scrapings comes sort of bits of sweat and dead skin and dirt and whatever else you've got going on on your skin at that point in time so off of that comes and then people in the roman baths would like scoop up these um i don't know bits of gunk from oh. gladiators and would put them in little bottles and would sell them as aphrodisiacs and they would oh, um, oh. stuff mushrooms with it. <laughs> so that's oh, like the equivalent of selling some like celebrities used plate at a restaurant on eBay or something or a serviette they've used. Yeah, but, but with much, more bodily fluids. <laughs> Even more on the nose is have you have you heard about gamer girl bathwater? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's oh. that. It's, it's that level of disgusting. Xenia, literally every phrase of that description there was adding another knot to my stomach. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the scoop and gunk back to back was particularly potent. 
Yeah, probably for the best that they didn't have you on the marketing team. (laughs) Did they have a lot of festivals? Because I always think of like the ancient world as being full of festivals about particular things, because I know there were gods for particular things, like a multitude, a host of gods, maybe not um, Babylonian, because I have no idea. But I know that there was a there was a god for wine, which is Bacchus. There was a god for having fun. There was a god for the home. There was a god for medicine, all this sort of thing. So were there festivals for everyone? Was it just a chock-a-block calendar each year of festivals, one from the next? And you've got to go, oh, God, next week it's Saturnalia. I've got to buy my mum a Terry's chocolate orange. Yeah, pretty much. Well, this is the thing. The Romans didn't have weekends, so... Um, they would if they were going to have a rest it would be for a festival uh, which is I think why they're so regular I mean there someone calculated that there were over 200 festivals um, in the in the Roman calendar so if you were celebrating every single one then you'd barely have any working days at all in the year Um, so obviously they didn't celebrate all of them there were some that were sort of universally popular that everyone celebrated um but otherwise you'd sort of pick and choose whichever one, whichever God you were most devoted to or whichever one was sort of the most universally popular. Um, we can think about it in, in terms of like our modern society as well. Like in Britain, you have Diwali, you have Eid, Christmas, obviously and Easter, but not all of us are celebrating them all at the same time. Um, so with ancient Rome being quite a multicultural society, you know, yes, you had the uh sort of accepted pantheon of gods but you also had lots of different festivals going on for different gods from other cultures that were all celebrated in Rome. So I'm I'm not theist but I, I celebrate Christmas and uh, so even though I don't I'm not Christian I do celebrate Christmas with my family. It's like everyone sort of partakes in in the big festivals and then if you are sporty minded for example you might participate in a bit of celebration for the Olympics each year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. I'd love to know about um, Babylonian festivals and Greek festivals as well. Yeah, well, not in festivals. I think you mentioned a little while back that you didn't know about the uh, the amount of Babylonian deities, but there's never fear, they've got plenty. Um, in the same way that you mentioned having a god for a number of different things, like some classic Babylonian gods. They like a grain god, they like a beer god. Um, they're quite big on demons as well. I think sometimes a bit misunderstood. The demon in the Exorcist movies, since we're on a horror bent today, uh, is called Pazuzu, which is a Babylonian demon, um, which actually was worn by pregnant women to protect their children rather than what happens in uh, the Exorcist, which is like full-blown possession. So, you know, sometimes a bit mistranslated. But yeah, definitely they had they had many, many gods. And that actually led to them having like loads of different calendars as well. Sort of what Xenia was mentioning, different places over Rome having different versions of the same god or, or different deities that they were uh, particularly dedicated to. Um, Babylonia, Mesopotamia generally was made up of lots of city-states and they all had their own calendars dedicated to their own gods and stuff like that. So you do get a real diversity early on in history. Wow, that's really cool. That's cool. That demon sounds quite a lot like the Babadook or something. Just like, seems like quite a bad guy, but turns out to be actually quite a real one. Nice. And gay icon. Always. How about in, um, how about in ancient Greece? What was their calendar like for festivals? Were they as, were they as um, party hard as the Romans or did they have a little bit of a break in between? Yeah, big time. The Greeks loved a festival. They had, they had quite a lot. Uh, they had actually, um, 
one festival that like sometimes actually staged like other festivals um so the Dionysia which is kind of the big one that I'm really into because it's where they hosted you guessed it tragedy um <laughs> the Dionysia actually um in some of the comedies that were staged there uh like one of them is called it's a bit of a mouthful um Thesmophoria Zeusi um, and it's about the Thesmophoria Festival, which is kind of like um, a women only festival. And it's all about um, Euripides trying to find out what's going on inside it because they're plotting to kill him um, for writing tragedies that kind of are uh, quite rude about women. Um, so, yeah, there, there are basically loads of festivals going on. They all have kind of different things going on. They all have their own different rituals, um, but generally kind of involve like boozing and having a good time and kind of throwing off hierarchy a bit. So it's quite carnivalesque. It's it's a good time. Were there any fertility festivals or any because I know that that's quite a big thing in the ancient world we've talked about contraception um yeah I can come in on that there was a festival in ancient Rome called the Lupercalia and it's sort of connected to uh like shepherds um because it was the idea of sort of defending against wolves but also having wolves be kind of sexy and super fertile so um young boys Ah. would dress up in animal skins and um have sort of these buckets of fresh blood and would run wild throughout the city and the the aim of the game was to flick blood at young unmarried women and that would make them fertile oh yeah I'd love that there's a lot of festivals um that are to do with celebrating things or encouraging things were there any festivals that took place an oddball question there might not be an answer for this to appease the gods and they were held because if they didn't, they feared the repercussions. Yeah, Babylonian bell right there. The Mesopotamian New Year Festival, and especially the, the later Babylonian iteration of it, uh, was called the Akitu. Um, and that was hosted in order that the god would sort of favourably look on the chief god of, of Babylon called Marduk. Uh, that he would favourably look on the king and the king's ruling for the next year. And uh, this involved a fair amount of ritual humiliation for the king. Um, So that the festival itself lasted 11 days. Um, And a lot of it took place actually like hidden inside the temple, which maybe isn't something that we think about when we think of festivals, people celebrating in the street and stuff like that. Um, Some of it, including the reading of um, the epic creation myth of Babylonia, which is called Enuma Elish. Uh, That took place inside the temple, so people people couldn't see that one. But anyway, the king was brought before the image of the god Marduk. And amongst other things, was subjected to slapping by the priest, uh, being stripped of all of his wealth, uh, kneeling like a servant, which was very humiliating, and basically trying to make him cry in front of the god. Wow. And if he cried, yeah, exactly. Um, and if he cried, then um, then the, the god Marduk would accept uh, the king as humble, and he would hear his confession, and then they would be in a good place for the new year. That's quite that's quite um, <clears throat> an interesting psychological like process I suppose I think I think nowadays it would be the equivalent of the queen like having her search history read out to the public or you know her Facebook memories being posted online that's a very that's a very strange procedure but I totally I totally yeah behind that I think that'd be great now 
I think, well, a word that we've had bandied around quite a lot in the UK over the last couple of years is mandate. Um, and it's, uh, I think they see that festival, the Akitu festival in, in Babylon as a way of like renewing the king's mandate for the next year. Uh, so he has to go through this, you know, laying low in this humiliation process in order to be kind of rejuvenated. Um, interestingly, like in this festival, I've been talking about the Dionysia in Athens. So it's a festival of Dionysus, who is the god of like ecstasy, like wine, orgies, having a good time, basically. Um, but in this festival, there were tragedies put on, which were kind of broadly quite quite sad stories and then also comedies which were meant to be quite funny and Dionysus would actually often be a character in both the tragedies and the comedies and in the tragedies so in Euripides Bacchae for example he's this like scary vengeful god who's like out to get people and no spoilers but there's like there's death and destruction in in a big way um, and then in comedies, like in Aristophanes Frogs for example, it centers around Dionysus like going to the underworld um, to try and find um, a tragedian to like bring back to Athens because he just like misses there being good, good tragedy. Um, he's just like this total himbo. Like he has no idea what's going on. He like bumps into Heracles, who's the kind of Roman Hercules, and just like pales in comparison to this like half mortal hero. Um, he's just like this really ditzy guy. And this is a festival like two. Dionysus as a god and he's literally presented as being like yeah himbo. That does tie into what we've been saying about the often kind of carnivalesque uh, feature of these festivals whether that's kings or citizens or in this case even gods just like no, no one's safe from a bit of topsy-turvy celebration. I quite like the idea that Babylonian kings were encouraged to uh, encouraged to cry. It might have been through humiliation, but it kind of really breaks down that whole boys don't cry thing. I think that's quite quite cathartic, quite caring, really. Self care, isn't it? I think definitely. I think this is a theme that's been dragged out of um, ancient Near Eastern history a few times. That um, they they had a slightly more developed. Um, sense of masculinity at times uh, in terms of being in, in touch with things that you know like affection like uh, male to male affection and stuff like that which over in the west sometimes can be proscribed um by society but yeah and the fa famous example um that i know Zenia is a fan of um the hero king gilgamesh and his best friend enkidu um were were really good chums and uh potentially lovers as well so it's just a it's an interesting trend um in 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 the ancient Near east in general that you know being a man doesn't necessarily involve being completely stoic and never showing any affection for your male allies. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the Romans we have to blame for the sort of toxic masculinity uh, interpretation of what it means to be a man. Um, so the word virtus, from which we get the word virtue, um, as in a good way to behave, comes from the Latin word for man, vir, and it's this idea that in order to be a man, you have to be uh, you have to be strong, you have to be emotionless, you have to fight, you have to defend, you have to always be assertive. So, yeah, they they they're the ones who who have ruined it for men, essentially. There was a women's festival that we were talking about. Was there such a thing, any other sort of like festivals that were only for one group of people? So we have Mother's Day, 
that we celebrate in the UK and uh, in Japan they have Children's Day. Um, is there is there any kind of uh, other festival that is that is for one group of people? So I'd actually love to go against the law here about the festival called the Dionysia. So there is this kind of general conception that the audience is all male because all of the actors we know are male, all of the playwrights are male, the chorus, everyone commissioning the plays are all male. Um, so we kind of assume that the audience is probably also going to be men. However, we have evidence from comedy, the kind of um, the pronouns that you use in comedy indicate that there is definitely a, a mix of genders in the audience. Um, it's still very much up for debate. Some historians think that, yes, there were women in the audience. Others say they weren't. If they if women were in the audience, they probably sat quite far back. They're not going to be getting like the seats in the stalls. Um, I just wanted to say this because I think it's easy to make assumptions that because it was a very gendered society where things were often very unequal, that therefore like women had absolutely no rights. But actually there were things that women could go to. There were like women had role in society and could probably partake in a lot of the things that, that men do. So I just think it's important not to completely um, it's like really not black and white, the ancient world. So I just wanted to bring that up. But not not a technically like a Mother's Day or a Children's Day, sadly, but actually kind of a, a more inclusive way of um, of conducting a festival that, that we do know about. That has me absolutely shocked because when I was at school, I was told that women weren't allowed, in ancient Greek women weren't allowed to go to theatres. And in fact, we did a little drama piece in my in my history class about a load of, because I went to an all-girls school, about a load of women having a chat about not being allowed to go to theatre uh, to see plays and chatting about what what stage plays would be like. So that has that has completely shocked me. I'm really glad you're against the law on that one. That's my education being being torn into shreds in the background there. If you can hear it. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Like again, we don't know for sure. Like maybe there weren't women there, or maybe like there weren't that many women there. There's indications that there were even like priestesses there, though, who would have been very important especially at the comedic performances which were a lot more kind of like rude and lewd and you'd assume that maybe women would be kept away from so as not to get ideas um because we know how kind of horny these greek women were in uh, the public sort of um mythology i'm glad to learn that so so were there any sort of um more strictly endemic groups so you could only celebrate on this day or today is the celebration of uh this group of people who all are barbers or the today's a celebration of people who are parents or things like that in any of the ancient worlds does that ring a bell for anyone there was something in ancient rome called the parentalia um which wasn't to celebrate parents, but it was to celebrate ancestors. Um, and just to add a bit of context to this festival, um, I want to explain that in a Roman house, okay, so you come in the door of a Roman house and immediately you come into the atrium. At one corner behind a great big chest that was full of the family treasures, you would have the death masks of the family's ancestors. So these are literally from the dead body. You cover the, the face of the dead body in wax and then peel off the wax, paint it with a likeness of the dead person's face and hang it on the wall. 
So you've got this very, very visual daily reminder of your ancestors. And then in the Parentalia, which happened in February, you'd go and visit the family tomb or tombs, which were usually outside the city. I I suppose we only think that's weird now, though, because up until relatively recently, we didn't have a sort of less morbid way to remember our our deceased ancestors because wax... um, a wax face mask isn't that far removed from, you know, up until the, well, up until the late 19th century, I think, but we might need to fact check that. Um, Especially in France, you used to make plaster casts of people's faces. I think it's quite, it was quite common everywhere, really. I think, I think Abraham Lincoln had a plaster cast of his face. And if someone passed away before you could have a photo taken with them, you might have a post-mortem photograph, which we, of course, think of as terribly morbid. Um, but but members of my family have passed away. I've got pictures of them. I can understand having a wax wax mold of someone's face. Bit weird to have all uh, in in your sort of atrium. Bit strange, but I can understand that completely. But I, I like that you're going against the law on that being weird. It sounds weird to me. Um, <laughs> but maybe it's not weird in the grand scheme of history. Yeah. So food's a big thing at Christmas time. Uh, you have a turkey, unless you're ours, in which case we had we had pork. Food and festivals, wine, and overdoing it. Most Christmases is to do with sort of gluttony, overdoing things, eating too much. In my head, it's like a Roman, is it's like a Roman thing. Well, if we don't want to do any spoilers for the um, for the food episode, but we do want to get into a festival involving overconsumption. There was an Egyptian festival called the Tech Festival. Um, that was a festival of drunkenness uh, where all the participants would drink so much beer. It's based on a myth, basically, where one of the goddesses accidentally drinks beer. Uh, she thought it was blood. So she was, I mean, she was kind of on a bit of a weird flex anyway, trying to drink some blood. But yeah, she ended up drinking loads of beer um, oh, and the goddess fell asleep. And so uh, copying her, the, the priests celebrating the Tech Festival would drink and fall asleep in the hall of the temple um, and then be woken up by drums. It's kind of wild. I mean, who can honestly say that they haven't accidentally mistaken blood for, for or beer for blood and just gone ham on that beer? That's a really odd. I find it strange in mythology where people people mistake things for other things. That if you had eyes, you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but they have. They also have those notorious shapeshifter gods who are always up to no good. So you can never be sure that what you're looking at is what it seems. <sighs> Oh yeah, isn't there a god of mischief in the ancient world? There are many gods of mischief, I think. Basically, any god is probably a god of mischief. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the concept that you'd be at Weatherspoons and you'd do the opposite thing, and you'd be like, Barry's just gone to get himself a pint of Stella. Little does he know, swapped it out with some blood, didn't I? <laughs> like, like <laughs> the old Egyptian the... switcheroo. Exactly. <laughs> So what have we learned today? What have we learned about ancient holy days, holidays, festivals and calendars? I've learned that the Romans were nuts for festivals and uh, barely had a break in between them. And if I was a Roman, I would uh, claim that I it was really important that I celebrated all of them. So that 200 days out of my uh, 
my calendar, I could be like, sorry, it's really important that I attend this festival to scrape the sweat off gladiators and eat them in mushrooms. <laughs> I love the story um, from the Near East, Barney. I can't remember exactly where it was, of the um, the king who needed to be, like, subjugated and, and humiliated. Uh, to yeah. Be able to I think that's, that's great vibes. Slapping the king for New Year's. well thank you so much guys i really enjoyed that and learned loads today and thank you lovely listener for learning along with us please join us next time when we'll be talking about food in the ancient world And make sure that you press follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to us. And that way you'll get notified as soon as the next episode lands. Bye.